with this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Father, thank you for your anointing. I pray, Father God, that we would listen to you. Pray that our hearts would be open and that we would learn something wonderful today. I just want you to see your heart. Everyone imagine your heart. Now imagine the little door in your heart. Now open it up so you can learn good things from God today and be ready. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. So good to be in church. Good to see all your beautiful faces. To see visitors. Always welcome. Everyone had a good week? I've had a lovely week. Very quiet week. Yes, Chris was away. <laughs> I was preaching. I'm preparing my message on marriage, so it was lovely to see him again. It's always good to get together. It's actually quite nice to have a little break, isn't it? Not too long. I found one week's quite nice, two weeks is all right, and then three weeks, no, nah, I don't like three weeks. You just, yeah, it's too long. So this morning I'm preaching on marriage, on marriage. God designed marriage. Marriage is God's idea, and marriage is a profoundly important relationship as far as God's concerned, extremely important relationship. And the real marriage... The marriage of all eternity is coming. And this is the marriage that we're all invited to. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I speak concerning Christ. And the church. So the profound mystery is not necessarily this earthly marriage of a man and a woman, but the fact that marriage is actually Christ and the church. That's what marriage is all about. That's that is the marriage. What we experience on earth is a metaphor. What we experience here is just a little taste of the real thing. What we experience here is good. But it's not the real marriage. The real marriage is yet to come. And when we ask Jesus into our heart, we're actually engaged. We're betrothed. The Bible begins with a, with a wedding and ends with a wedding. It begins with a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and that's where that was spoken for this reason. They leave and they come together and they become one. And it ends with this glorious, amazing wedding supper of the Lamb. When we come to heaven and there's some kind of Mystery, and it's a mystery. You can't even understand it. It's like the church and we are married to Christ. It's, it's an, it is a mystery. Listen to what um, the Bible speaks about God's plan. God is very romantic. He loves, he loves romance. He designed it. Ephesians 1 in the message says this, verse 3, Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. And he'd settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. 
Long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift by giving the hand of his beloved son. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living. So he chose us. He, you are chosen to be married to him. He, he's looked at you before you were born and said, this is someone I want. I want you in my family. It's, it's a very amazing concept. And God loves us so much that he, he knew that he needed to send down. Jesus is the ultimate knight in shining armor. All, every story, there's just a sense of this great story that he looked down. And he said, you've got to go down and rescue her my beloved, my, my lost lovely wife who's wandering out there and making a mess. And Jesus came down to rescue us and to woo us out of the world to be united with him so that we could eventually become one. And we have a taste of this oneness now in engagement, in betrothal, and ultimately in heaven, this profound mystery of this amazing oneness that we will have because we'll be one with him. And it's a mystery because you can't, I can't understand it. I mean, I, it's, you can't understand it. I mean, earthly marriage is a mystery too, the fact that we become one. Physically, somehow, there's a new union when we come together. There's, there's something very profound and special. But that only reflects this extraordinary mystery that, that's in Christ. So this divine reality is a permanent union between his son and the church. Look in Revelations 19.7. Here it is. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How marvellous. How marvellous. Blessed are you to be called to this marriage supper. It's wonderful when you're engaged. It's exciting. And for a girl, one of the very best things is getting that beautiful dress. It's so lovely to go and look at them all. And, you know, all the girls, the single girls now probably got it all on Pinterest, you know, like having a little look, planning ahead. And then, you know, you get, you get to walk up the aisle in your beautiful white dress. And it's got to be beautiful. You've got to look the best you've ever looked in your whole wide world. That's what you've got to look, you know. It's just that moment. And yet it says that we are going to be arrayed in fine linen, that, that we're getting ready. And our linen are our righteous acts. Imagine a bride walking up with a big, ugly mud spot. Imagine if she fell over in the mud and, and the, the, the groom, you know, that moment when they look back. It's so cute, you know. I just remember seeing Chris that moment when they look back and, and the men are kind of like, oh, look, she's mine, she's coming up. Imagine if I had a big mud spot in the middle of my dress. Like, you just wouldn't do that, would you? sort something out but that's what that's why we have to be ready for this marriage because we can't we've got to have righteous deeds we've got to show such have be loving and good and kind and you know love the poor and help kids in Thailand and and do these good deeds because that's our wedding dress so I, I want to look good and I don't want to walk up the aisle on some skimpy little short thing either you know like haven't got many good deeds I've got like Maybe a bikini's worth. Like, I'm not walking up the aisle in a bikini. <laughs> Maybe some of you can, but that's not what I was going to do. You just, you know, you want to be nicely covered when you walk up the aisle. And so this is what we are preparing for. This is, this is us. 
This is, this is marriage. This is it. This is marriage. I mean, I wanted to talk about marriage, you know, on earth. But as soon as I started to look into marriage, I, I thought, if we're talking about marriage, let's just talk about marriage. Let's talk about what really marriage is because this is it. Anything else we've got on earth is merely a copy. It's just a metaphor. Isaiah 62.5, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God rejoices over you. Think of how the bridegroom rejoices. How exciting for a man when that woman is beautiful and ready and pure and waiting just for him. That makes a man happy. It made my husband happy, didn't it, darling? It certainly did. You know, it's a, it's a fun thing to go on that honeymoon and, and that's, that's exciting, the beginning of an adventure. So, but that's, the Bible says that that's how God feels about you. He's looking around and you're walking, you're getting ready for him. And he's sort of getting little hints of, oh, there's the dress. She's starting to look good. And, and, and he wants you to be ready for this amazing marriage that's coming. It's coming, guys. We are, it's going to be so good. I mean, weddings are great. I love the food. Everyone always puts on the best food, the best decorations. You know, you, cannot, you can put on a 21st and, you know, some of your friends won't bother coming because, you know, that, it's a long way. And especially young people today, it's so scary. Like my day, you sent out an invitation and there was no one knew if anything else was on. So they went to that 21st. But these days... They kind of just wait and see and then they on Instagram, oh, there's five other events. Oh, I'll go to this one or this one or this one. And, you know, I've, my kids, I've seen some very scary 21st where people suddenly all decide at once not to go and it's, it's, people are quite rude in my opinion. <laughs> but no one does that for a wedding. Everyone goes to a wedding because it's, you know the food's going to be good. So if you say you're going to a wedding, you go because weddings are just the best. I, I went to a gooding wedding actually and that was, whoa, that was amazing that, I mean, that was just so, you know, I mean, all weddings are beautiful, but if they've got a lot of money, it's even better, isn't it? Not, not, I mean, the Goodings have got a lot of money, but I have to say, that I think most of the money was on the other side of this fabulous family that they married into. And this amazing, I mean, I just could even the flowers, these massive balls, and it was just incredible. And yet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, can you imagine what this wedding's going to be like? Can you imagine the food, the decorations that God is going to do and that the angels who will no doubt be serving will be doing make sure you are at that wedding make sure make sure you are dressed and ready do not muck around with doing silly things on this earth that might be sort of half fun when you are going to be at this wedding make sure all your focus is I'm getting ready for you, Jesus. I'm getting ready for this wedding. I'm going to be in heaven for you for all eternity. This is temporary. Let's get our priorities right. Make sure you come to church, serve in the churches, all all out for Jesus. And then when that day comes, you will not regret. Believe me, any time that you're on the roster out at kids, any time that you were doing the extra coffee, any time that you, you know, put a bit of extra money into the Compassion Kids, you will not regret having a better looking robe for Jesus. You will absolutely not. Come on, let's get our priorities right, guys. So, because this is marriage, this is why marriage is under so much attack. This is why the world hates marriage, because marriage belongs to God. And ever since I was a child, marriage has been under attack. I remember when I was young, the big deal was that marriage was irrelevant. When I was young, they said, 
our marriage won't last and all the cool cats in Hollywood didn't get married. It's like, I don't need a piece of paper. Uh, we love each other anyway and a piece of paper just ruins our marriage. And, and I was like, wow. And I was like, they live together. And, and even I, I was just at the edge where living together was a bit shocking still. Now it's completely normal but it was still a little bit and then they'd have kids and I remember Goldie Horn you know no we're not getting married we just love each other you know if we got married it would have ruined our um, thing and I'm like oh it was a bit like oh and they were sort of implying that marriage would just die people won't do marriage it's going to die out because it doesn't mean anything and that was all the deal when I was young I, I absolutely remember the attack that particular attack on marriage and then there was a new attack on marriage it was divorce so all of a sudden they made divorce very, very easy, like, oh, I'll just get divorced. And so everybody did. And then they sort of said, you know, just, just all live together. But then they said, well, we want the same rights as marriage. So they went, okay, well, you can live together and have exactly the same rights. It's like, so more just confusing the whole issue. And then there was, of course, you know, just sex everywhere all the time. And that's very, very destructive to the concept of marriage. And, and you know, movies that glorified affairs and made out that this is good for marriage. And then you had all the feminists in my research for this message, I read some of their stuff. I'm not generally into reading their stuff. And I was just like, Whoa, wow, they are fierce and they are angry. I'm like, guys, settle down. Like they are, I've, I've never read their stuff. There was one book called Marriage is Hell. And it was about how marriage was designed to oppress and destroy women and it was part of the male hegemony, you know, and, and it was just an oppressive thing that was designed to just crush women down and, and, and they, could, they could be wives or, or prostitutes, same thing. And I'm just reading this going, oh, oh my goodness, you know, like you need to really take a chill pill, girl. Like they, the, the feminist man, the, the angry ones, I mean, you know, some, a, a few things they said are okay, but generally, boy, did they have it in for marriage. And, and then, of course, you had married, some marriages were terrible because you had people that were being abused and horrible and unkind, and that's, that's terrible too. You know, of course, it's, it is terrible if men are being, and it is generally men. I mean, it can be women, but statistically it's generally men, and that's, that's a terrible attack on marriage, you know, that, that this institution that's meant to protect and love us, women and children, can be a, a dreadful place. And so... And then, you, you know, there was a redefinition of what marriage was about, the, the roles of marriage, and then, um, and then the complete redefinition now of who can be married. So marriage has just been under attack as long as I've been alive. But we don't need to worry about that because nothing and no one will ever destroy marriage because marriage is God's and marriage is in heaven. And the marriage of the Lamb is going to come and this metaphor of marriage will continue on earth just as long as God wants it to. So earthly marriage will always exist because God chooses it to. So we don't need to be worried about this attack. We don't fight against flesh and blood. And that's why as a church, we don't actually fight against flesh and blood. Our, our battle in our opinion is not against individuals. I think that sometimes just creates anger and unkindness. We, we understand this is a spiritual battle that's trying, there's a, there's a devil. I don't think people understand why they're attacking marriage so much. But we do because we know what it really means. So let's maintain a, a spiritual approach to marriage and a loving approach. And this is why it is so important that we do marriage correctly. And as long as there are godly men and women who do marriage correctly, then God is happy. 
And there will, there will always be these people that just do all sorts of weird and wacky things out there in the world. But we don't need to worry about that. That has been going on from the very beginning. So let's not fear this attack on marriage. Rather, let's fight it by love because love never fails. The best way that we can stand up for what marriage really is, the best way, to have a great marriage. To love one another and show the world what marriage is. That's the best way. That's the, you can't argue against that, can you? You can't argue against 30 years or 40 or 50 years of love. Love never fails. That's the argument. So let's have a little look at marriage and what it means. Now, as I've already described, we're all married. We're all getting married, but, but some of us are actually married. <laughs> so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved. 2 Corinthians 11.2, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So here is a very interesting thing where we see the two issues come together. We love because he first loved us. So we're seeing this metaphor about marriage and Paul's saying, I'm, I've betrothed you, I've got you ready for, for Jesus. But one of the best ways that we can learn to be ready for him is by learning to love one another. And in marriage, we learn to become more like Jesus. So marriage is a great place, marriage and family, where we refine our characters, where we learn to love, where we learn to be ready for this wonderful place. And so we learn about real love. And this is, this is not just in marriage. Obviously, this is in family life as well. Some of you might not be married, but this, this, this applies exactly in, in families where you're learning what it means to love your brother or your sister or your mom or anyone. We all, you know, you're not going to miss out on, on marriage lessons just because you're not married. Believe me, God's, God's very good at that. In fact, I've got a, a great friend of mine, Sue, her name is, and she's never married. She's a single girl. And it always interests me to see how she goes through the same lessons I do but not married because she's got to learn to love as well and she's got to learn the same lessons that I do. And she'll often say, she'll describe to me a, a test that she's going through with, with her brother or with her father or different tests and I go, oh, I've been through that test but I did it with my husband. And so the same issues of learning to love, I go, you're going to go through them whether you're married or single because you're not going to miss out not like, oh, I didn't get married, therefore I'm not going to learn all these things. Of course you will. Even just seeing her, you know, when her parents got divorced and so seeing she, when her father was ill, she was his primary carer for some years and she lived with him and loved him and cared for him as he, in his dying illness. And uh, yeah, it was, he, he, was, he was quite horrible to her at times and so she she really had to learn about, about love and it was interesting watching her learn. So don't worry, we're all learning these lessons wherever we are. But first of all, we learn about real love. And if you are single and you're thinking about getting married, understand that love is not the way it's portrayed on the movies, obviously. And that when we choose someone to love, we must make choosing someone who loves and serves Jesus our number one priority. The Bible is very, very clear about that. Light and darkness don't have anything in common. 
Like they really don't. One's light and one's dark and they tend to destroy each other one way or another. So that's got to be our, our first common vision that we are serving the Lord together. So if you're single and thinking of getting married or if you want to tell your kids that, make sure they understand that that's the priority. We're, we're serving the Lord together. That's, that's how we choose someone. The world's made it, the world's changed the concept of marriage to what makes me happy. Now, I've already described how important marriage is, how it's this incredible, immense, wonderful mystery of Christ and his church. So clearly he wants to teach us what real love is. And real love is not, I find you attractive, therefore I want to marry you. Real love is not, oh, I've got this chemistry when I see you. Real love is not, um, do you make me happy? (laughs) That is not love. That is not love at all. Real love is obviously not lust. It's not someone that I just want to hang out with, who I enjoy their company. Real love is huge and real love is described to us. It's described to us clearly, but, but when we see what the world says love is, they don't have any idea. Okay, I, I, I thought, well, let's look at what TV and movies talk about love. Yeah, what a mess. I mean, apart from the fact that TV and movies generally don't do marriage. <laughs> they do romance. And then they get to the end of the romance, maybe they're about to get married, and then they generally stop. There's a, there's a few, but not many. And because the romance part is the fun part. But the marriage part, I mean, I thought, well, for the oldies, there was gone with the wind. What a terrible marriage. <laughs> like, what a mess. They, she didn't have, that woman was completely selfish and she did not have a clue. Neither did he. And then I thought, well, oh, the sound of music. I thought, that's a nice marriage. But I thought, but it was only about five minutes, wasn't it? I mean, you know, it was all, it was all the romance. And then for five minutes, they were happily married. So, you know, and then I remember seeing a movie when I was a kid with Barbara Streisand. And she, in the, mar- in the movie, she had an affair. She, had, she committed adultery. And then that made her marriage better. I was I, even watching and I was like, what? That's, that's disgust. That's not true. And then TV marriages are a disaster because you see on the TV shows that they do everything wrong and then apparently they're happy. It's like, that, that doesn't work. If you, if you speak to a man like that for year after year after year, he's not putting up with that and just laughing and thinking it's funny. It's, it's not, there's little truth. There's little, and I thought, where is a happy long-term marriage in in the whole of, in society, anywhere that's portrayed to it. No wonder we don't know what it looks like. We don't see it. I mean, maybe Little House on the Prairie, for those of you who are really old, can remember that. That, that was kind, they were kind of happy. The, ba- the best one I could come up with was with The Notebook, which is kind of romantic, and at least they've showed them at the end of their marriage. I mean, they die at the end, but they, it's a lovely... I'm not ruining the movie. <laughs> Um, they die when they're old, like old, old, old. They, but that's why it's quite good because it shows the, the very end of their marriage. They've obviously been mar- So they show their rocky start. They've got a ro- All right. I should give a spoiler alert, shouldn't I? It is. It's a very old movie. But actually, it's quite, I quite liked it. It was quite romantic. And at least they are together at the end. But um, actually, they, I got a quote from it. It was quite sweet. This is nice. He said... But in one respect, I have succeeded as gloriously as anyone who ever lived. I've loved another with all my heart and soul. And for me, that has always been enough. That's nice, isn't it? (laughs) I thought that was quite romantic. (laughs) But it's true. 
You know, if you can love someone and have a happy marriage, that is a very, very big achievement. Are you getting teary, Erin? Oh, you're laughing. Of course. <laughs> but, you know, it's true. To love someone deeply and truly is a very, very good achievement. It's a very great thing to do. So we need to look to the, the Bible for what real love looks like and hopefully, hopefully also to church. Hopefully in church you will see some good examples of beautiful, beautiful marriages. Real love is defined in Corinthians. It's patient and kind. Loving someone, marriage is about self-denial, about laying down my life. It's about helping you to become all you are meant to be. It's about serving you with joy, not, not cold resentment, not insisting on my way. Marriage isn't about, well, you know, what about, I never get this. Marriage is about, I'm just going to serve you. I'm going to help you. I want you to look beautiful for Jesus. How can I help you? It's about loving that other person. Love is not proud or jealous or competitive. Marriage needs to be, there's no competing. It's not, there's... There should never be a sense of, well, I got, you got spent 100 bucks now, I get to spend this. You've gone away here, I go, no, 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 no. It should be about laying down your life. Love is saying, is saying you go away, honey, and, you ha- and I'll look after the kids. And then the next time it comes up, oh, you go away again. You do it again. But it's my turn. There's no turns because I'm just dying for you. I'm laying down my life for you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't hang up on the cross and say, your turn, I've had enough. I don't want to die anymore. I I think you can die now. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand what death looks like. You don't understand what laying down your life. When you lay down your life, you don't take it back up against it. Now you do it. I've had enough. It's your turn to wash up. It's your turn to say sorry. It's your turn to do something right. It's your turn to love first. It's your turn to make up. It's your turn to do. No, 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 no. It's always my turn. Always. And you go, well, that's not fair. Who said anything about being fair? You want fair? You got to get. You want justice? Wait till you're in heaven. You'll get your justice. You're not getting justice on earth. Not really. Earth is about love. Love isn't just. Love is crazy. It's crazy. It's not about justice. It's about laying down. It wasn't fair that Jesus died on the cross. He was perfect. It's not fair that you're the one that has to say sorry again. Doesn't matter. Just lay down your life and serve the other person and help them and make sure that they're number one. Not your little children, not your career, not your friends. This person is number one because you are number one for Jesus. Always number one. He doesn't go, I've had enough of, these, of the Christians. I've decided, I'm, going, I'm, I'm going with the Buddhists now. I've had enough of you lot. I'm, get, I'm over you. I'm going to get rid of you and I'm going with the, with the Muslims now. No, he sticks with the Christians. And we saw that in the Old Testament. He stuck with the Jews too. And he still sticks with the Jews. He hasn't neglected them. He's still waiting for them, still loving them. So love is not prickly or rude or difficult or easily irritated. It's very forgiving and it's always believing the best. Love is hard. Forgiveness is very hard work. It's okay the first year or two, but... After 30 years, I'm still forgiving this issue. And let me tell you something. I'm going to really shock you here. You are going to marry someone that you're incompatible with and who does not suit you. I guarantee it. 
And you say, how do you know that? I'm, because you're going to marry someone who sins. And no one is compatible with sin. Sin is completely incompatible with everyone. Everyone hates sin. Everyone. Now, you might think, well, we have the same sins. We're just going to roll in it together. Oh, maybe one or two of your sins are the same. Maybe. But believe me, you will have some sins that differ. And that sin of his or hers will bug you because it's sin and sin is designed to, sin is not nice. And you're going to marry someone imperfect, so you're not going to be compatible. And you'll discover their sin. And for the first five or 10 years, you think, well, I will pray about it and I will tell them and they will change. Mm-mm-mm because I'm going to pray about it. And some of the girls say, I'm going to take him to marriage counselling. And can you tell him, please, he needs to change. Can you let him know? So can you tell him like this, this and this, these need to change. And the marriage counsellor will tell him and he will go, oh, whatever. And he won't change. And she won't change either. This isn't just a male thing. This is a female thing too. And so you are going to marry someone you're incompatible with. Yay. And it's going to be really tough sometimes and really hard. So... Just encouraging you all to get married. You could, you could, um, you could, uh, but here's the thing. I mean, look, I'm, okay, I'm just saying what's in the Bible. Paul actually said this. Paul was single and he actually said, it's better to stay single because you won't have to fuss about all this. You can just concentrate on the Lord. So, if you stay single, if you want, if you're already married, too late. If you're single, you can stay single. Listen to this quote that I got when I was, uh, I do a bit of marriage counselling. And this, she said this, I said, can I please write this down? This is so funny. She said, God has given me a very, very challenging task. I did not know any of this when I married my husband. I did not sign up for this. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Here's, here's, I'm reading, I love to read marriage books and I'm reading one at the moment by a non, it's a non-Christian book. It's called something, it's an alpha, about alpha women, strong women and how they don't know how to be married. And uh, Suzanne Venker, this is one of her quotes for all the career women out there. The qualities one needs to get ahead at work are the exact same qualities that will ruin your marriage. If you want to be successful in love, you need a whole new set of tools with which to work. Isn't that interesting? She reckons that the qualities that they're teaching women out there in the world to be independent and do it all your own, I don't need that. And I do, she says, that will ruin your marriage. And she's, this, is, this is not a Christian book. And she already had one ruined marriage and then she started to ruin the next. And she goes, what is going on here? Because she was a career woman. So, you know, the book's about what qualities work. So, you know, love is, is hard, but being committed to help that other person be beautiful and glorious in the end is wonderful because it's in giving that we are blessed. It's more blessed to give than receive. It's in laying down your life that you find your life. And so while there is all these challenges and difficulties in love, you discover this incredible joy and this incredible depth of love and this incredible place of love. And that's really exciting. And so that's what we do. That's where we go to and we're committed to this. We're committed to that. And love, the Bible says, love never fails. Love never fails. So it's just really exciting that we get to experience this massive quality of love in our marriages and in our families. You know, as as I said, if you're not married, you will not miss out. God will have these exact same kind of slightly different, obviously, sort of different approaches but similar in 
in, in life. So marriage is designed to teach us to love. Marriage is designed as a metaphor of God's, God's marriage. And then I want us to just, in my final point, look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. So I'll just go here. This is another one of God's main reasons for marriage, designing marriage. Here's another thing you do. This is, I'm reading this from the uh, New Living Translation. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord has witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. When you get married and you make a vow with someone, God sees. Marriage involves three of you. There's the horizontal element of marriage, but marriage is a vow before God. Any marriage not made before God is not really a marriage. So you make a marriage before God. But he says, the Lord has witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union so this is here right there it says he was looking for godly offspring in another version so guard your heart remain loyal to the wife of your youth for I hate divorce says the Lord the God of Israel to divorce your wife or husband is to overwhelm her with cruelty says the Lord of heaven's armies so guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife so here is another element to marriage that we see that God is seeking godly offspring he joins a man and a woman together because within marriage this is the safest place for children to be raised and God wants beautiful Christian kids he, he wants he, he you know he wants life to keep going and he wants Christian life to keep going and so in the marriage situation it's this opportunity for children to be raised in church for children to grow and become godly and beautiful and and see what love looks like and that's why it says I mean there's a lot of reasons but he hates divorce divorce is so ugly because this whole thing of love this whole protection for the children the metaphor of marriage all of this is destroyed in divorce Divorce makes a terrible statement about marriage. Divorce makes a, kind of ruins the metaphor. It ruins the concept of what is happening in heaven. And it's very destructive for children because they're now living with, oh, I thought love meant we forgave and we kept working together. But now they're learning that love means, no, I just, I'm going to walk away and I, and I don't want to do it. So if you're married, don't get divorced. Okay. The Bible says... There are only two reasons why divorce is acceptable. One is adultery and the other is desertion. But we live in a real world and I happen to know that a lot of you here are divorced or have been divorced. And so I just want you to know that if you have been divorced and you're remarried, now don't get divorced. But I also want you to know that there's so much grace. I mean, look, we've all missed it. We've all made mistakes. And for some of you, I, know, I, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of, I mean, some of you I do, but some of you I don't. And some of you had no option. You know, I know, I know that some of you were deserted and some of you, you know, that your, your, your beloved left you. And there's, that's just, you know, no one else can really know the pain that you went through. And so, you know, God is very gracious and understanding. Sometimes you weren't at fault at all. And perhaps sometimes you were at fault. And if that's the case, be sure that you process that and, and, and bring that before the Lord so that you can make your next marriage better. But 
praise God, he's gracious to us all. So, you know, he's, he's a very good God and I've seen some very happy marriages that are second marriages or even third marriages. So God is good. He does hate divorce and we all hate divorce and we avoid divorce and we'll counsel you and love you as best we can to, to avoid it. But it does happen. So that's just a sad thing. But if it happens, know this, that God is good. There is grace. There is love. And there is also grace for your children that he can bring you through that. And if you're the child of divorce, you don't have to be frightened. He can show you what love looks like. So God is good. But he does want us to learn to keep pushing together because there's a tendency in our own sin to pull us apart. So we need to come together. And, and in that place of love, a family, there's a lot of loving and working together and growing together. And children can be raised up in that beautiful place. So marriage, very exciting. The Lord is rejoicing over you. You are his bride. So let's remember that. This relationship teaches us to love. Families teach us to love. And we learn this beautiful lesson of this amazing love because one day we'll be at this amazing wedding forever, this amazing marriage. Praise God. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.